Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi. Welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. It's Allison. And again, I am pleased to bring you another interview. And today, one of my absolute favorites, Barbara Coloroso, who was my go-to parenting person when I was raising my kids. I could not get enough of her. And she spoke frequently in Toronto. So I have known her longer than she's known me. Um, but she is an international best-selling author, and she has been in this field for uh, the last 49 years. So you're rounding up to your 50th anniversary. We'll have to make sure we celebrate that in some honorable way. But she is an, uh, a recognized speaker, and she's a consultant on not only parenting, but also teaching school discipline, positive school climates, bullying, grief, which we're going to get into today, nonviolent conflict resolution, and restorative justice. Uh, she is known very well by the media, any of the outlets, CBC, NBC, Oprah, uh, NPR, which is one of my favorites, uh, New York Times, all the major masters know to go to her for her expertise. Uh, she has developed her own uh, uh, area of expertise, not only through her research, but she really is an in-the-field person through her own life experience. She's been a classroom teacher, a laboratory school instructor, a university instructor, seminar leader, a volunteer in Rwanda, and a mother of her own three grown children. So you may know her from her books, certainly the first one I picked up with Kids Are Worth It, Giving Your Child the Gift of Interdiscipline. Tonight or today, we're going to talk about parenting through crisis, helping kids in time of loss, grief, and change. Uh, but also her in important works include The Bully, The Bullied, and The Not-So-Innocent Bystander from preschool through high school and beyond, Breaking the Cycle of Violence and Creating More Deeply Caring Communities, also the title Just Because It's Not Wrong Doesn't Make It Right from Toddlers to Teens, 
teaching kids to think and act ethically. And then Barbara's latest book was entitled or is entitled Extraordinary Evil, which is a brief history of a genocide uh, and why it matters so much. If you have not had an opportunity, I will post all of her handles and um, website and everything in the show notes. But she also has, which I think important at this time, her acclaimed video programs, Winning at Parenting without beating <laughs> beating up your kids, and the same uh, geared towards teachers winning at teaching. And I think every teacher could use some propping up given that they've been thrown into this weird you know, quad online hybrid teaching, which was never part of what they envisioned for themselves. So thank you very much for being with us, Barbara. Oh, thank you, Allison. It's a real joy and an honor. All of us are are working our way through this. I'm also now a grandparent of three kids, two teenagers and one uh, eight-year-old. So they're in the middle with their parents going through um, online learning, hybrid learning, dealing with mom or dad being around <laughs> more than they'd like at this point, uh, getting cats to take care of, you know, doing amazing kinds of things. It's a crazy time for all of us. It's also a, um, a time of uh, chaos and tremendous loss are really feeling in our, our country with the number of deaths and the number of people infected from children through our grandparents. So this is adding another layer. The only remembrance I can go back to is the polio epidemic when I was five, when mom was living through that fear. Um, and then it became real when we couldn't go to the swimming pool and one of our schoolmates was in an iron lung, the old days, and another survived um, all through school with uh, leg braces and a teacher with it. So it's, it's new to us in the sense that the 1918 pandemic, we can learn from it, but that's our great, great grandparents uh, for many young parents. And my, my middle grandchild who had a COVID birthday, which, you know, two of the three have had COVID birthdays. He said, Grandma, this is going to be in the history books, isn't it? And I said, it's also going to be a thread, a big, chunky thread in the tapestry of your life. That's such a beautiful metaphor. A well, beautiful. It's, a, it's a thread. It's a big thread in their, their fabric of their tapestry. Um, and uh, we'll experience all different kinds of losses. And we also need to understand um, life is unfair. It hurts, and it's very, very good. You know, there's a, a, a saying, this too will pass. It's an old Sufi saying. We forget the whole comment and only go to the rough times. The full comment of the Sufis was, remember, in the good times and the bad, this too will pass. So we need We've to- We've abbreviated it out of its good, out of its full meaning. Yes. We have. That's a good way to say that. And we have to understand we will get through this. We have to have that, that sense of optimism with our children. I talk about in all of my work, the Tao of parenting. And along with that, the Tao of teaching, because I was both a parent and an educator. And I think we so often are parenting as educators. And educators may not realize it or some are actually living it that today they are uh, acting as parent in absence when mom or dad are scared or, or dealing with major traumas like grandparents dying or they themselves being sick or 
uh, young people being orphaned, that we need to be those people as educators as well. So I talk about the Tao. It's a Zen Buddhist term. Um, you'll notice I throw a lot of faith traditions in my work. No, I, I was... <laughs> I was gonna. I was going to mention that because I I know that your uh, your background and maybe you can say more to to our listeners so that they know. I mean, I know a little bit of your faith background, but I do also think that when we're talking about optimism and death, this is exactly the content of philosophical, spiritual type teachings. And in a in a more progressively, we've lost some faith traditions in our modern times and during times of crisis we, we start them. to re- we need them and people yeah. are realizing oops you know we did not attend to this and uh and yeah. we're lacking in that area so i i would love for you to speak more My about the spiritual I, aspect in your background I'm yeah. a former franciscan nun obviously former with a husband three kids and three grandkids but i have to say my uh background in theology and philosophy have held me in good stead as a human being, as a parent, as an educator. In my work in Rwanda, having it rooted in a a strong, uh, hopeful tradition. And uh, the fascinating thing when I was studying my theology, I have a major in theology, minor in philosophy, major in special ed, minor in sociology. So that's my background. But it was that theology and philosophy and studying with the Jesuits, Um, my theology and philosophy courses, we actually had people of the various faith traditions come and teach about the faith so that we could understand the various faiths. And I I was drawn to so many of the philosophies and the wisdom of so many of them, like the Tao. It's an acronym, T-A-O, but it means a path. It's like an algebraic formula. It doesn't give you an answer but it gives you a path to an answer. And that's what I think we as parents and educators are struggling with right now. And in the good times, we need to give our kids time, affection, sense of optimism, T-A-O, the Tao. Yeah, say them again so people can catch them. The T, time, affection, and a sense of optimism. So time, parenting is not an efficient profession. And many of us trying to do online learning with children. I had my one grandson, who, my daughter, and he have lived in a bubble, and we've lived in a bubble, that he could come and stay with us for a brief period of time. And I did his online learning with him, which meant you didn't war- do the dishes, you didn't, because it was in the kitchen. <laughs> you didn't do the laundry, because that was too close and noisy. So I got a, 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 an idea of how some families are trying to struggle with this. Do you have a wide enough bandwidth? with that you can be on the phone your spouse can be doing something yes and so um time but kids need our time and i'm not talking that quality time you read about in the magazines we have to go do something special no sometimes it's just looking at your child who's sad or angry or turned off a, a game they were playing with their friends which is their contact only to find out that somebody's being mean and cruel to them on the other end. But you wouldn't know that if you weren't aware of their body language, because you say, how's it going? Fine. (laughs) This is not fine. (laughs) And so, and they're, they're worried too. And we'll get into how to talk to kids about what's going on today. But as well as the pandemic, life of of normal or uh, the usual griefs in people's lives are still going on, and so it's compounding it, along with deaths. 
and severe illnesses. So we we can't get away from that. We got to be willing to have the time to be present to our children, to watch their body language, to talk to them. One of my favorite lines with all of my kids and my grandkids have been, talk to me about it instead of a lot of questions. Because they'll just go, nope, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, talk to me about it. They and, and stop what you're doing. And I know we're trying to multitask, but there's a time that we need to just be present to them for what they need. So affection, smile, hug, and humor every day. And you say, well, it's real hard to drag up some humor. Oh, there are some wonderful cartoons out today, uh, political ones even, that we won't even go into that. But you can talk to especially your older kids and get them to laugh with you. And it's so important that we use humor, humor that's with people and not against them, not laughing at your child, not laughing at another person, but laughing with another human being. Um, and so they need that humor and the hug. Um, I remember... <laughs> Before we bubbled, um, one uh, a chance our our middle grandson had a birthday. He I've always made their birthday cakes, decorated them. I love doing it. This year he made his own and he put a mask on it because <laughs> it was a COVID birthday. But we at that point we were not interacting with them. Um, and so it was the hardest thing. I drove by my secretaries and my dear friend of ours and dropped off spaghetti sauce that I'm known for, and they all like it. And I dropped off uh, Chance's birthday, uh, and I broke down crying because I was waving to him. This is not normal. <laughs> this is the pandemic. So many of us have had that. But in ways to give a hug, we've got to get connected through online adventures and the like. One of our grandchildren practices guitar every day because he plays for us. <laughs> and oh, he's gotten nice. better at it because it's time to play for grandma and grandpa and he doesn't realize he's been practicing for 45 minutes. <laughs> so giving kids that time, affection, and a sense of optimism, and this is so important. And I'm not talking that rose-colored optimism where all is right with the world because you know what? It's not. Uh, what it is, what Viktor Frankl, a death camp survivor, called tragic optimism, that when you have been brought to your knees in grief, can you get up in the morning, fix your children breakfast, say, we're going to get through this. We're not going to get done with it. We're not going to get over it. We're going to get through it. They need to understand. But how you dealt with adversity in the good times will give kids a good clue of how we as a family are going to deal with adversity in the rough times. I got stuck in Winnipeg on my way to the Palm Manitoba, which is in the middle of nowhere, which if you're an optimist, halfway to everywhere, right? <laughs> Snowstorm, can't get in, eight hours, can't get to the Palm. Some of those people ranted and raved for eight hours. Some people hit the bar for eight hours. Some read a good book for eight hours. All three groups got on that same plane eight hours later. Some were still angry, ready to throttle the pilot, which would have made us later if you think it through. Some, after eight hours in a bar, weren't sure and didn't care if they were on a plane. And some of us had read a good book. Now, I ask you, when's the last time anybody gave you eight hours of uninterrupted time to read a good book? You see, it's your point of view. Um, and I know as you're dealing, we're dealing with food uh, uh, insecurity today with so many people. Do, are we going to keep our homes all of those kinds of crazy things that we're worried ourselves, but we have to look at this in a sense through our children's eyes 
and affirm to them every single day that we're going to get through this. Now, ways that we can get through that is to fall back on some rituals and traditions. Used to have pizza night on Friday nights, still have pizza on Friday nights. Uh, you have game night on Wednesday nights, drag yourself to the game table with them. You know, because it, it says to kids, there is normal in our lives. Our children need to know in, in times of great chaos that there is normal. I lived in Littleton during the time of the school shooting at Columbine. and relatives in that building, relatives on the SWAT team. And uh, people were so taken aback when a couple of weeks later, a few of the high school seniors who had been through this horrible tragedy said, when are we going to write our final exams? And people were aghast. I wasn't. Because what they were saying is, I need some normal in my life. A school shooting is not normal. A pandemic is not normal. And so those rituals and traditions that bring about some normal will help. If you haven't started them, start them now. And they may be done, known as the pandemic tradition, because remember, there's a big thread in all of our tapestries. And each one of us, it'll be a little thicker thread, a few knots in them and threads, but it's going to be a thread in all of our tapestries. But can we add some beautiful bows to them and, and the like to help us get through it? Because we can. So we need our time, affection, sense of optimism. Yeah. And I, and I think we're hearing many stories now of people who have said, um, part of our new normal is actually an improvement on the busyness of our previous life. And there's some new traditions that we've established that we won't let go of when this is over. So yes, you know, revisit the old ones that are those tried and true familiar ones. And that sense of optimism will allow us to say, you know what, I don't want you to stop playing guitar just because we're not in, uh, in lockdown anymore. I want to hear you play every night. That's so lovely, right? Yes, I think that's true. And we're going to find um, people have said, you know, I have more time with my children and sometimes it's too much time. <laughs> and that's where we have to take care of ourselves. Our health matters too. I remember being on an airplane and I wrote about it in my first book, Kids Are Worth It, where the flight attendant said, put on that mask first. You're of no use to anybody else if you're passed out cold. <laughs> so put it on first, then put it on others. So we do have to, and it's not being selfish, it's being self-caring to take care of ourselves. But if you model that for your children, they then will see that they need to self-care as well and not be totally dependent on others for care. Then that leads into caring deeply about other human beings. The three antidotes to the three most virulent agents ripping apart the fabric of our humanity today is hating, hoarding, and harming. Mm. Hating other human beings with utter contempt, hoarding me, mine, and more instead of us, ours, and enough, and harming, lying and cheating and stealing because it destroys community. Uh, it destroys our own dignity. It destroys our relationship with others. And then it also destroys that sense of community. So what are the antidotes to those? Care deeply, share generously, help willingly. So if we can keep those three things in mind during the, the day. Now, caring deeply doesn't mean you always like the other person. <laughs> um, I mean, there are times many people raising their teenage rights, I really don't like him. Um, I've, had, I've said, how many of you have an adolescent in lectures? And they'll raise their hand and I says, how many of you like your teenager right now? <laughs> Some don't raise their hand. And then say, how many of you dislike your, te your teenager right now? And some tentatively and others shoot their hand up, you know? And I say, now, 
you don't have to like them, but you have to honor their humanity. You must care deeply about them. When they do get in trouble, as angry as you are, as upset as you are, and they're in the local jail, you get down there as fast as you can, put your arm around them and say, we love you, you're in trouble, we know you can handle it brought a list of lawyers we think might take your case. Good luck, buddy. And you let them deal with it, but you're there to support them, right? Well, I want young people to understand, you don't have to like every kid on that Zoom call. You don't have to like every kid in your class that's now showing up on the website with pictures. And you don't have to make faces at them. You don't have to be mean and cruel to them. You need to honor their humanity. Martin Buber said, I am I and you are thou. I'm unique and you're unique and we have a common humanity. I have gifts and talents. I also have liabilities, just as the other person. And that's why I think music is so critical to our young people. What has been so heartening to me is to watch some of the young bands perform for their high schools, but they're all doing it in their bedrooms or in the kitchen, and they're coming together, each one of them unique, but they have a common humanity. They make harmony. So it's reinforcing to see that we can do this in this time of great loss, to come together. A famous uh, Italian opera singer sang on his balcony when everybody was in lockdown. And people loved it. They looked forward to it every day to listen to his voice bouncing off the buildings. And he got great joy out of it. My uh, grandson's guitar teacher it is world renowned and he hasn't been able to travel and so he's gone online to perform yo yo ma has done the same thing and so getting ourselves more creative about what we can do to connect to one another care deeply share generously oh so many people are hurting today that we can help our young children learn to live more simply by looking around and saying, you know, we are so fortunate to have an income coming in right now. And there are others who don't. Are there any toys you think somebody else would enjoy that you don't need anymore or you have too much? Rather than harp on them that they have too much, let them find the things that they would like to share with someone. Share generously, help willingly. It is so important during this crazy time that our children have chores to do that they have a routine, but it's not rigid brick wall uh, where we're gonna be doing this and this and this, but it's not jellyfish where I don't care if you stay in your pajamas every day. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, one of the requirements for all three of our kids who are doing online learning right now is that they must be in shirts, <laughs> out of jammies. Once a week, one of the kids has a jammy day and they can, but knowing all three of them had their bottoms were jammies all week, but the top, you know, you have to get dressed, comb your hair, brush your teeth, getting in that kind of ritual and, and, and routine is so critical for their well-being and getting young people to help. James Natchway, a famous war photographer, said, do good because good is good to do. Spurn threats of hell and vibes of heaven, you do it because it's the right thing to do. And so the more you can get your children to go beyond themselves to help others, you can say, is there a classmate who looked kind of sad today? Could you maybe call them and check in with them and say, I noticed you look sad. Today. Oh, I don't want to do that. Why don't you give it a go? He looked kind of sad and you could brighten his day up. That's one of the ways you can help. And so... There are times our wisdom and our outlook on life can help 
kids. I don't tell them what to do, but I give them options of how they could do it. Maybe you could write him a note. You can, in the chat room, because you can chat, um, send him a note and say, how are you doing? Love to play a game with you this afternoon, kind of thing. But they may not have thought of that alone. What I am amazed at is how many young people have gone out and helped with food banks and the like and done those kinds of things and extended themselves to people in the neighborhood who can't go out, uh, who it's at risk for them to go to the grocery store today. Is there anything I can get for you while I'm going to the grocery store kind of thing? So uh, care deeply, share generously, help willingly. Very simple things that if you think about it, and put it in your mind or a list on the fridge to help your young people do that. It helps us get through this crisis. Yeah, that's the, there's the deep uh, sort of overcoming the existential, what's it all about, morose kind of thinking. And you know, it's, yeah, I know, you know what? Everyone's important and everyone can pitch in and every little gesture counts and we are in it together. And, and when I need help, there's gonna be someone who will reciprocate because I'm part of a community. And that, that and is also, mental health building. Uh, when I um, work with young people who have attempted suicide, not been successful at it, and they consider that they failed at it, their parents will often say to me, we got him in therapy. We got him out of that school. He's in a new school. We've done this and this and this. What more can we do? I say to them, what's he doing? Oh, but he was the one who was targeted. I said, precisely. One way for your child to heal from the trauma is to do good for other human beings. Is he working in a soup kitchen, Habitat for Humanity? Nowadays, it might be, do you have skills online that you can share with younger kids? There's no reason you can't start a little storytelling thing for younger kids and invite little kids in the neighborhood to meet you on Zoom to share a story. Getting creative about things we can do. When we're outside of ourselves and doing good for other human beings, it's good for us too. Um, it's a secondary thing. It, it comes that we feel better about ourselves. We feel better about that we are going to get through this. So giving kids that opportunity. Now to get to the heavy stuff, what do we need to do uh, when there's major loss? I mean, there's a powerful book. I would recommend any adult who has not lived through a pandemic and is now living through it with their children, read They Came Like Sparrows. It's about the 1918 pandemic. And it's from a child's point of view, many, many young people were orphaned. We see orphans today as a result of the pandemic where mom and dad, or they've lost both grandparents within hours or days of one another because they've had the, the virus and it, it took them both very quickly. Um, and so it just gives us some grounding from a point of view of children what's going on in their minds. And so we need to look at um, what are the passages of grief? Now, this is whether you're going through the trauma of a death in the family, a death of a school child, a schoolmate, death of a neighbor or a relative. Uh, I've had two, a 46-year-old, very healthy uh, nephew and an elderly aunt die. Uh, during this pandemic. So, so sorry. Uh, well, it's, it, we look at it and go, whoa, <laughs> you know, it's real. Don't anybody try to tell me this is a hoax. <laughs> it's not. Um, so what, what kind of uh, uh, passages do we all go through? Or if it's a, di a divorce, uh, you know, like I said, all the other things that go on in life 
pre-pandemic may be happening during a pandemic. You may solidify a marriage. You may also, during this very close time, realize this is not working. <laughs> and sad to say, we're also dealing with violence. And so uh, those things are going on. But what are the passages of grief? So we'll start with death. First of all, we need to know how to talk about it and not use euphemisms. Like he bought the farm, uh, he passed away, he's uh, uh, gone to a better place. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> don't even want to argue that one. You, you use the word dead. Grandma died. Um, and uh, there is a very simple pattern. Again, it's a formula. A formula doesn't make things easy. It just makes them simple. And simple things can be very difficult to do. When you're talking to children about death, you give the headline first, then you give uh, the facts, and then you be quiet for what that child needs. No editorializing and the like. In Nova Scotia, a husband and wife had to tell their three surviving sons that their oldest brother had been killed the night before in an automobile accident on the way home from university. Mom had wanted him to come home for the weekend, and he was killed on a curve. The parents sat down, tears in their eyes, and said to all three kids, your brother died in a car accident. Not we have bad news to tell you. You don't build it up. Nothing, nothing's going to soften this blow. So you come right out. Your, your brother died in an automobile accident on his way home from school. Then you just be quiet. Not he was driving too fast. I told him to make sure he had a seatbelt. No, just be present. Now, the 15-year-old got angry because it is very normal for teenagers to get angry when somebody close to them dies. This is out of the norm. This is not supposed to happen. And so that he was angry. He was angry at his mother for inviting asking brother to come home. He was angry at the police, didn't get there fast enough, angry at the ambulance drivers, angry at his brother for speeding, angry at the curb in the road. He was just angry. And the parents had to listen to that because that's where he was at. Questions about the death would come later. Now the 10 year old, from about seven to 11, what you typically see is give me the facts, man. How fast was he driving and how did he die? I mean, that's what he needed. And it sounds so uncaring. It's not. It's just how seven to 11 year olds process this. Now the five year old put his arm around his mom and said, don't worry, mom, when he's done being dead, he'll be back. Because to a five year old, death is, death is not permanent. And so just know that when you give the headline, grandma died last night from COVID. And then just be present to what they need. Sometimes they want to know, are we going to have a funeral? Or did she struggle? Or um, how come she didn't take better care of herself? Because I know she wouldn't have died had she taken. No. But then you go with wherever they're at and not be judgmental about it. So you, well, in a divorce, you do the same kind of thing. They headline the facts. And as angry as you are that spouse left for this younger secretary, you share that with your closest friend, <laughs> not with your kids. Leave out the editorials when you're going through the headlines and the facts. And we're going to go through passages no matter what grief we're going through. Kubler-Ross did a tremendous service for people dying of cancer when she developed the stages of grief. 
The problem is we took those stages and we made them into concrete steps as if there's no going backwards or forwards. And we put it on any kind of loss. And it it doesn't always work that way. Even with cancer patients who are going through those steps, um, there was some backtracking, there was combination, they're in two stages at the same time. Um, I prefer to go through the three passages of grief. The first is the oh no of it all. And this is what we often say when we hear that somebody's died, oh no. Like we could ward it off if we say, oh no. So the piercing grief of the goodbye, goodbye to a marriage, goodbye to health, uh, being personally healthy and you find out you have a a diagnosis of some kind of uh, disease, or it is truly a death. It's that, oh no, and you go to call your mom and you realize she's dead. (laughs) Can't do that now. Uh, So it's the piercing grief of the oh no at all. That lasts about seven days. Now this again, as you were talking about, Allison, Mm. is some history we have forgotten. The ancients in every faith tradition typically gave seven days. People who practice Judaism typically sit Shiva for seven days. Now, in our very fast culture, some of them have even moved that to three days because <laughs> we've got to get back to work kind of thing. Yes. Well, and, and to your point about culture, you know, it would be respecting the dead in parts of Italy that you would dress in black for a year. It was like a symbol yep. to the community that they knew that you were a, a new a widow for that year. And that's a culturally bound tradition. Um, the Bosnians and- do the same thing. The Bosnians for a year. And, you know, we Irish, I'm Irish, I'm black Irish, so you can look that one up. We, first of all, sit with the dead for 24 hours because that helps us move in that passage. By the end of 24 hours, typically they whisk the body away and they're like, no, you sit with it. And when uh, we took in Bosnian refugees during the Yugoslavian War, former Yugoslavia, and when uh, Mladen sat with his mom, he called me and he said, she's died, but I've asked them to wait till you get here. I want to sit. So we set the day with her body. By the end of the day, we both were ready for them to come to take Yubitsa's body because she was gray and cold. There, no pretending. You can't wish it away. She's dead. And we've lost some of those traditions. And we Irish don't put a headstone up until the a year after the death on their anniversary of their death. You put the headstone up. Why? You've gone through all of the holidays and all of the special anniversaries. And so uh, seven days, we can count on being in shock when there's a major loss. Which now, as you say is a, is a kindness really. It is. It is a kindness that we're shocked and numbed. Well, how would you ever buy a coffin for a child? Nobody in their right mind could go out and buy a coffin for a child. You have to be in shock to do that. Yeah. To bury both of your parents who died within hours of one another, you have to be in shock. So it's a merciful thing to get through all the things you have to do and you're just kind of, and that's why we have to give people that time. Sadly, culturally today, if they're not directly related to you, bloodline, you can't take that even three days off. And yet it might have been your closest friend, your relatives are far away, and this person meant more to you. And you need it to grieve. Meanwhile, you're expected back at work and not functioning. (laughs) So it's in the big losses count on uh, seven days. Then you begin to move into the second passage, the intense sorrow. That's where things need to be done. Bills need to be paid. You need to get on with life. There's a birthday party for another child. 
But all of that is tempered with a gray coldness of the loss. So it's steel cold gray. Everyone else is happy and you find yourself a little happy, but then you get sad or you, you know, there's an empty place at the table. You begin to move out of shock into the, the sorrow of it all, intense sorrow. Lasts about six months to a year. However, the Navajos have a saying that if it's been a catastrophic loss or multiple loss, which so many Navajos are experiencing today uh, with COVID, that count on two times four seasons. Two times four seasons is two years. The people whose children were killed at the shootings at Columbine, many of them said it took them two years to move into the third passage. However, others, uh, especially younger people, were ready to move on with their lives. Within the six months after the shootings, they had an opening for the new freshman class and for all the other kids to return to their building. They had gone to our children's high school in the interim. And they had a, a moment of silence for all of those who died. And then a welcoming, joyous celebration for all those who are entering the high school now for their years, their, their senior year, their freshman year. Now, some people were taken aback. How could you do that? That's disrespecting the families. However, the families of those kids who died knew that they had a longer passage to go through, but these children were ready, including some of their children whose brother or sister died, they were ready to get on with their life. So six months to a year, the intense sorrow. Then you get to sadness that's tempered with the joy of getting on with your own life. How do you know you're in that passage? It doesn't feel bad to feel good. You're you're laughing, you're celebrating your life. I worked with uh, families who had multiple births, where one or two of the babies had died at birth and the others survived. And uh, one woman, her uh, daughter was very much alive, but her twin sister was not. And she said, now I know why I feel sadness at her birthday. I feel joyful about celebrating the sadness. And that points out that passage. It go, she goes back to the death of that twin. And nobody says, once you get through these three passages, oh, you're done. Uh-uh. A song can bring you back. A birthday can bring you back. A phone ringing can bring you back. Just watching the numbers rise for COVID can bring you back to a loss. And so when, as an educator, uh, when a child in a classroom would break down crying because a classmate had moved or a classmate had been diagnosed with a critical illness or had actually died, but they weren't that close to that child, I had to take a second look and say, what grief are they processing right now? because they are dealing with another loss that's been triggered by this. Uh, When we brought in the Bosnian refugees, uh, we had Serbs, Muslims, and Croats, so our first Thanksgiving was interesting. (laughs) They've all done extremely well, and they all are are good friends. But one of the boys, uh, the uh, 15-year-old, who spoke enough English that he could translate for mom and dad. He's now an engineer. (laughs) He's doing well. But he had to translate for the doctor's appointments, for immigration, for social work, all of those kinds of things for their parents, a driver's license. Well, he hung in there. He was doing well. 
and then went to university and crashed. He just broke down. I was not surprised. Yeah. It is time to deal with He held everybody else together. Don't be surprised if an older sibling doesn't do that through this whole pandemic, that they're the strong ones. They're the ones that get the little ones up because you're just trying to run this, get everything done and, and keep your job. And, and an older sibling is holding together and then breaks down when this is all over because they didn't grieve during that time. They had to hold it in. Uh, we all have to go through those passages in one way or another. Yeah, so, which we cannot, to your point, hurry. We can't well, rush them. We can't shorten them. They just need to be metabolized according to our own individual unique journey with it. And, and it matters. It matters a lot about, um, uh, you know, factors that influence how we all go through this. Who died in what relationship? Were they to you or the child? Uh, the manner or cause? of death. COVID, my goodness, is such a complicated virus. I remember when they thought it was a pulmonary thing, it was a lung thing. We now know it's a vascular disease and they can have long-term impacts and the like. So the manner and cause of death matters. Um, someone who has committed suicide, that cause of death um, may make those passages seem kind of jerky at times. Um, and uh, you know, you may have disagreed with their choice, <laughs> but it was their choice. Um, and then we can't do what if I'd only, if maybe I'd only, and the like. I see this a bit with people saying, I only brought them groceries. Do you think I'm the one who gave it to them kind of thing? Well, the reality is grandma's dead. And kids do have that magical thinking, you know, oh, where yeah. they're like, I had a bad thought about my my friend's dad and then the barbecue blew up. And I thought that it was my bad thought yeah. that made the barbecue blow yeah. up on him. And we have to really correct them about, you know, that's that's the creative activity of a young mind. It's not, not the truth. Yes. And then uh, the communication skills of the family is critical. Uh, and you say, but we didn't have them before. It, it, there's never a bad time to get them, <laughs> to begin communicating. And it may be in these rough times when you truly begin to break down barriers and communicate with your children. The history of loss and death in the family. I experienced uh, death and loss in my own family growing up very young. And then deaths of classmates and the like. But my husband had experienced distant death and then five family members in one year. Wow. Grand died at 105 and his mom and his dad and his favorite aunt and his brother, a sibling. With sibling deaths are a whole different bailiwick. Um, you know, and, and when he went in to the doctor saying he's not feeling good, the doctor said, I'm surprised I didn't see you sooner because our doctor was our neighbor. <laughs> he said, I'm surprised you weren't here sooner because multiple losses like that all at once. I had been never that you get accustomed to death, but I'd lived through death experiences. Um, and so it matters. In and, a you, and you say you recommend in your writings too, that it's, that it's important that our kids get early exposure to the concept of death and, and the finality as a, as a true universal function of life. And that we can practice that by talking about the seasons or, uh, you know, when we see uh, our, our goldfish upside down in the, in the, in the fishbowl, you know, when you're just a toddler. It's really dead. It's really dead. It's not just doing the back float. Yeah. <laughs> you 
you know, that's and, part and, of that's part of the reality of of life and death. Better to practice that experience and recover from it on a goldfish than your first one being your dad having cancer or your mom yeah. contracting COVID. The circle of life, and we start that with very young children, talking about Freddie the Leaf, Leo Buscaglia's phenomenal book, Freddie the Leaf. You know, the leaves are, it's a cyclical thing. Uh, the circle of life, talking to children about that. The, the sad thing and the hardest thing when you're dealing with the circle of life is sometimes it's out of order. Uh, there's an old Jewish saying, uh, it's a happy story. It's called a happy story. A man died, and then his son died, and then his son died. And you say, what's happy about that? They died in order. And anyone who has had to bury a child, that is so out of order. It's the biggest hole you can put in anybody's heart. When my brother-in-law died in his 50s, uh, was a huge hole in my mother-in-law, who was in the 80s, was a huge hole in her life. But while we're on that, it was also a hole in my husband's life and his sister's life because they are siblings and part of their history was gone. How often when a young person dies, do we make sure to check up on the parents? How are you doing? What we forget to do is check up on the siblings, no matter what their age is. That is a part, that thread we talked about has been rent, it's been torn uh, with the history that you shared with the sibling. So we have to honor those kinds of things. And we also need to look at it, whether I'm giving you an overview using death as the anchor here, but in any kind of loss. Uh, there are people who are long haulers, we call them with COVID, who are, have not recovered and there's long term uh, problems that come with that, to be patient and to be deeply caring and supportive of them through that, but also hit them with that time, affection and sense of optimism. We're gonna get through this, we can get through this. I never say you can get through this because we're all in this mess together. And we need to believe that we can be there for them to get through that. So um, yes, any other areas you'd like me to cover? I you mean know, I do, no, th just in closing and, and you know, I get, I'm gonna make a little, you know, a little political oh, dig here about, you know, it's, I I, I, well, I, I'm so grateful to your point about the fact that we've honored that, well, Kubler-Ross made a great contribution that it's much it's much more accurate to, to portray it in the way that you're doing it with these passages and making it a unique journey and seeing these different passages that we need, that we need to go through it, in the process and that grief isn't just death, it's also loss of, loss of a marriage, loss of going to school, loss of whatever or, uh, that might be. But, you know, the DSM changed their diagnostic criteria for when we should say that you're now grieving too long and oh. we're now going to make it pathological for you to grieve. And they have made that shorter and shorter with each new edition of the DSM, which is our, the, for those who don't know, yeah. that's our manual that is, says the criteria you, you must meet to, to be diagnosed with something. I think it's not an accurate uh, portrayal of grief in the DSM. Can you say then for parents listening, when should we worry that this process that can be unique and longer and sometimes a bit forwards and a bit backwards, or you put it on hold to be stoic and then you let go? How does one know when somebody is actually needing support in this area? I'm going to give you another big three. <laughs> okay, great. I love your threes. Three passages, the doubt, <laughs> the intensity of what they're doing the frequency they're doing it at, 
and the duration. So are they crying uh, hysterically for a short period of time? Not a big deal. But are they crying hysterically every day? And the duration has been weeks. This is not good. Uh, my novice directress tells a story of her younger brother dying of a virus that fast. And her mom took to bed and stayed in bed. And finally, the older sister walked in and said, Mom, our brother's dead. We're still alive. We need you. She recognized that the duration and the intensity, sleeping all the time, not getting up doing things with her alive children who are also dealing with the death of a sibling. So duration, frequency, and intensity. Um, they're, or acting much younger for a long period of time. They all may, you know, we might see some acting out uh, when there is a major loss or a radical change in routine. Um, uh, we've had people calling uh, teachers saying he's wetting his pants and he never did that since he was two and now he's normal (laughs) normal this is stress this is hard on everybody Um, uh, uh, the uh, inability to sleep or need for excessive sleep Uh, not for a short period of time ask anyone who's had a major loss in their life their sleep is disrupted either they need to sleep long or they're not getting in a deep sleep or it's getting up with nightmares and the like. But again, it's the intensity, the frequency, and the duration of these specific things. The fear of being alone is not uncommon. And the fear of going into a store with COVID is not abnormal. But if it persists to the point where they won't walk outside the front door or back door and get some fresh air, that's a problem. So we need to look at that. Uh, Persistent idealization of a past. Oh, it was so much better before COVID. It was different. (laughs) That's for sure. But it's constantly harping on the past or on the deceased person. Then it's um, grieving is no longer good morning. And we need to deal with that. Uh, The interesting thing from uh, teachers that I'm working with right now, they're talking about the fact that if you ask some of the kids, do they miss going to school? In the middle school years, you're going to hear a group of kids who will say, nope, I like this. Why? What you need to say is, talk to me about that. Why? Well, I just do. And well, talk to me. Has anyone been mean to you at school? And what you will typically find out is these kids are absolutely relieved and are thriving academically because they don't have to worry about being shoved into a locker or terrorized to go to the bathroom or ostracized in the lunchroom. So you can find out something there. Um, And they're just really enjoying it and they're thriving at home. And you say, well, I can't even get my kid to do his homework. Uh, This is a kid though that has some issues. Say, talk to me about it, tell me about it. Uh, Repeated um, stating a wish to be with a dead person is a heads up. It doesn't have to last long, uh, but if over a week's time they're talking about wanting to be with that person, you need some intervention, you need some help. Lucky for us today, we have Zoom calls. We can call a therapist and do a therapy session. The famous swimmer, Michael Phelps, uh, talks about him needing mental health therapy, and he now has ads on TV talking about 
you can get it virtually. I'm continuing mine virtually, you saying, you know, and so that's available. Don't don't miss that. If you you know, pandemics can bring out that grief and loss magnified with everything else normally going on in a chaotic family's life. Um, and so don't just write it off as COVID, that maybe they're dealing with some issues that are happening right under our noses and we're just not, or we're writing them off saying we're gonna get through that. No, we need some therapeutic intervention. And then uh, overvaluing or clinging to possessions of that person. Or uh, again, in a pandemic would be clinging to Oh, but I was so happy at my last birthday party. I have to say two of my three grandchildren had COVID birthdays, drive-by birthdays. And they said to their younger one, oh, it looks like you're going to have a COVID birthday in February too at the rate we're going. That's called, that's by the way, called gallows humor. (laughs) And there's going to be a lot of gallows humor right now. But uh, uh, we need to recognize that if you have lots of stomach aches and headaches and the like, uh, we got to look at our environment and say, what's bringing this on? What's going on in his little head? And recognize that when it's become no longer good morning, that it's now time this is going to go on, as Dr. Fauci has said, till at least the end of 2021, that we have to look and say, do we have a kid moving into serious depression? We need to get some help. Do we as a family need help? It's okay to reach out for help. And you say, but so many other things are going wrong with so many other people. No, right now in this family, you need help. And then uh, avoid- I just want to say, and bravo for that too, Barbara, in, in giving people permission to say, just because somebody has it worse than you, that, that's not, that doesn't mean you don't look after your family. You are worthy and deserving of help and support if you need it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> and avoiding so many activities that might give them joy because, uh, well, my brother was a better soccer player or she cooks better than I do. Kind of, nah, you're a good little soccer player. Let's get out there and practice some. We need some fresh air. Let's get out. Physical activity, I cannot impress upon you how important physical activity is for young people every single day. All three of my grandchildren have virtual PE and they have to be doing jumping jacks and pull-ups and the like, and two of them are still in soccer, but the soccer is virtual. And they go out and practice drills out in their backyard. It's so important to stay physically active. Along with that, good sleep. We might be inclined to all of us stay up too late or let us keep some routine for their health and well-being. Um, and it's okay to snack out once in a while. It's okay to be in your jammies all day and eat a tub of ice cream. <laughs> you know, Once in a while, we all need that. Yeah. But it's once in a while, again, not every day. So uh, give ourselves the things that give us joy. Give ourselves time away. I always talk at the very end of my parenting lectures about giving us permission to take time for ourselves. We're no good to anybody else if we can't say that I'm worth it. We'll never be able to say our children are truly worth our time, our energy, our resources to help them become all they can become if we don't believe that about ourselves as well. Uh, Hooray. To that, and and you know, we say it again and again and again. It still takes. We still have to convince the moms and the dads to do it. It sounds so good, but they don't. Uh, Nike take- says it well. Just do it. 
Just, just do it. Do it. Exactly. Just, just do, it. do it. Not I'd like it. Didn't Yoda say the same thing? There is no try. <laughs> there, there, yeah. There is I, only you. <laughs> now, now, can you, I, I promise. We remind ourselves. We, we do. And g- remind ourselves and give just ourselves remember. permission. So Barbara, tell me uh, what, there's a bunch of resources that you've got on your website that people can access. Tell us about those. Yes, um, all of the handouts for all of my books are on the webpage, and please feel free to use them in any parent groups or education groups if you want to go to them. But I also have um, a freebie on the front page. The handouts are free as well, but it's a a 64-page mini booklet that you can download. It's an electronic booklet. I had written a book, The Bully, The Bully, The Not-So-Innocent Bystander, specifically for parents with a little emphasis for educators, but not as much as I would have liked. And so I condensed the, the book on bullying and then expanded some of the areas specific to teachers. And uh, I think parents who are dealing with the issue where their child has been the bully, been bullied, or one of the not-so-innocent bystanders that contributed in some way are doing it now online. Um, it, it, it's a very quick resource that parents can use. Then it shows all of my books and how to get them and the two uh, DVDs and CDs on winning at parenting and winning at teaching. So those are all available there. And there's a few lectures that you can download as well to see. Wow. Well, um, you have been such an amazing resource to me over the course of my life. Uh, It's been great to be on this journey uh, with you. And thank you so much for taking your time to share your knowledge on on grief, Um, grief, loss for for parents, for kids, for families, anytime, but most especially during COVID. So thank you so much. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.